Hello, everybody, and welcome to the ninth edition of the MMA MMA show, Matt's Middle Age Mixed Martial Arts Show. Appreciate you joining me this week. Uh, first day of spring, Wednesday, March 20th. The seasons have changed, but my situation has not. My daughter got sent home sick today. She's in the other room. She is watching a movie at the moment called Middle School. So I'm trying to squeeze in a quick show before she yells to me again that she needs some help out there. She's not that sick. Slight fever, sore throat. Haven't figured out what's going on yet. She had strep a couple weeks ago, and that led to a quick show, and this will likely be a quick show as well, which is probably good for everybody listening because who wants to listen to me drone on anyway? So this past week in MMA, uh, the big story was um, UFC's pay-per-view move. Uh, as many of you know, UFC runs about 12 pay-per-views a year on traditional cable, you know, Comcast, Xfinity, uh, in-demand, Dish, that sort of thing. Um, that's no longer the case starting in April. All UFC pay-per-views will now air on ESPN+. Plus. Um, what does that mean? Uh, it could mean a lot of things. Essentially, if you don't pay the five bucks a month to get ESPN Plus, you will be unable to purchase a UFC pay-per-view. Like you can't buy them through Xfinity on your traditional remote, old-school cable. It's all going to be done streaming. Um, so you need a smart TV or an Apple TV, Roku, that sort of thing. Download the ESPN app, pay the five bucks a month, then you have the right. That's right, the right to purchase a UFC pay-per-view. It's basically a $5 paywall you got to get through to even be able to buy a pay-per-view. Of course, with that 5 bucks a month, you get several ESPN Plus shows a month. I'm paying that now. It's not a big deal. Uh, instead of the pay-per-views being $65, bucks, they will be 60 bucks now instead. So that 5 bucks you put towards ESPN Plus, you kind of save that money in a way, I guess, now. Um, I, I don't know what that means for pay-per-view buys. It'll be interesting to see how much ESPN pushes these pay-per-views. If they're really promoting these pay-per-views heavy, which I think they will because they want to make money off of them, um, and they're paying like a, the UFC a downside for each pay-per-view. So UFC can put out not that great main events anymore and not have to sweat it because they're getting a certain amount of money up front from UFC for these shows, and then they make more money if the shows do well on pay-per-view. So UFC is kind of safe in this regard. They're making a lot of money from ESPN, and they don't have to sweat that $80,000 80, buy Amanda Nunes fight. Um, but at the same time, will it hurt a Conor fight? Um, are enough people going to know where to find ESPN Plus, get the app, pay the five bucks, buy the pay-per-view? It's just one more step and one more pain in the ass for somebody who wants to see a UFC pay-per-view. Um, in the end, I, I don't think this really will hurt the UFC because they're getting paid to do it. Um, I, I think at the end of the year, their profits will be up because of it. Uh, 
in that this is, I, I guess they re-upped for a seven-year deal, so they're going to be with ESPN until 2025. Dana White recently re-signed with Endeavor and Ari Emanuel, so he's going to be there another seven years. Um, it, it seems like a good deal for the UFC on the surface. Um, any negatives with it could be, you know, that paywall people have to get through to see these shows. Um, UFC's going to have like, you know, 40 something shows on ESPN plus a year with, with the pay-per-views. It's a lot of, a lot of their product is going to be behind a $5 paywall and somebody downloading an app. Um, and you got to count on people having smart TVs and, um, you know, devices where you can stream. Uh, and I, I think the younger generation, <laughs> and I'm middle-aged, but people my age and younger are comfortable with that sort of thing. But, you know, somebody 50, 60 might be more hesitant and limited in their ability to do that. But again, that's not really the UFC's demo. They're shooting for that 18 to 35-year-old demo who... Um, you know, have no problem streaming. So it, it it's definitely a change in TV and pay-per-view. I mean, pay-per-view, as far as big events, boxing, UFC, wrestling now, that is a dead business. Um, traditional cable pay-per-view, I should say. Granted, this still is pay-per-view. The ESPN deal is pay-per-view. You still got to pay 60 bucks to see these shows, and you have to pay $5 for ESPN+. Plus. So it's still pay-per-view, just in a different... Um, you're just getting it in a different way. But it, it's a change. This is a huge change. Um, it's essentially what WWE did when they created the WWE Network, except they weren't getting paid for that. E <laughs> UFC has managed to have a cable company in ESPN, a network, pay them for their content um, on an app. It, it, it's brilliant in that regard. It's there, There's not a lot of danger for UFC. It's just a matter of will this lead to increased fan growth over the next seven years or is UFC kind of going to disappear because it's not on free TV much. It's not on, you know, regular cable Comcast, Time Warner, that sort of thing. It's hard to predict. But the way things are moving, if I had to guess, you know, your Netflix and your Amazon Prime, uh, Hulu, that stuff, it's just starting to take over. Um, you can pick and choose what you want to watch whenever you want to watch it. Um, you can binge an entire series in a day if you want to. People like that. People value their time and want to determine how they're going to spend it. The days of you know, must-see TV on Thursday night with Seinfeld and Friends is uh, long over at this point. So um, interesting development. We'll, we'll obviously see how it goes over the next several years. Um, I'm trying to think if there is anything else to mention with it. Uh, ESPN may do some sort of bundles and deals where, you know, if you buy every UFC pay-per-view and ESPN+, Plus, you can get it at a, a discount. Um it doesn't affect deals outside the United States. This is only in the U.S. So um, if you're watching in Europe or Canada, Australia, that sort of thing, it won't be affected. Um, bottom line is it's a good deal financially for the UFC. Um, I 
and it, it, it'll be fun to watch. You can almost guarantee that you're going to see much more, even more UFC coverage on ESPN, which is good. Um, so long as traditional ESPN stays strong, you know, Sports Center, First Take, that pardon the interruption, the, as long as that programming stays strong and they push UFC um, and promote it and get people to download the app and, and buy pay per views. Um, it'll be good for the UFC. It's just a matter of can ESPN promote pay-per-views? <laughs> it's kind of uncharted territory. They've never really been in the pay-per-view game from what I can recall. So, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. It'll be fun to, to watch and see how it goes. Um, it'll also be, I'll be curious to see how like pay-per-view main eventers, champions, that sort of thing get paid. Cause typically they have, you know, a base salary. What, what, um, you know, John Jones is like $500,000, but he gets points from the pay-per-views. So the more buys his pay-per-view, uh, main events get, the more money he makes, like maybe at $500,000 at 500,000 buys, he gets a buck a show at 750. He gets two bucks a show and it, and it increases. So, he makes money based on how many people pay for his pay-per-views. Um, will as many people be buying pay-per-views now that it's switched over to ESPN Plus? And only time will tell. Only time will tell. Um, but yeah, in interesting story. And um, I'm looking forward to see how it all pans out. Uh, this past weekend, we actually had a show as well. I know usually we open with the, the show reviews, but that pay-per-view... Uh, change by the UFC is obviously the biggest story of the week, especially from a business perspective. But um, there was a fight night. It was UFC on ESPN Plus number five, a.k.a. UFC Fight Night 147, on Saturday, March 16th in London, England at the O2 Arena. Very well-attended show, 16,600 in attendance with a $2.4 million gate, which is very, very healthy. In the main event, Jorge Masvidal defeated Darren Till uh, by knockout. I'm actually looking at this on Wikipedia, and there's a funny <laughs> a funny mention. They also have Jorge Masvidal defeating Leon Edwards by TKO at three seconds of the first, which we'll get to momentarily. But like I said, in the main event, Masvidal defeated Darren Till by knockout. Till actually rocked Masvidal early. Till, who is from Liverpool, uh, amazing entrance here, uh, played Sweet Caroline by Neil Diamond, the crowd's singing along, uh, very hot, one, one of the better hometown entrances you'll ever see, uh, I mean, technically it's not his hometown, but home country entrances you'll ever see, and um, he got a knockdown in the first against Masvidal, and then... Masvidal kind of just took over, and I think it was a left that just dropped Till cold. Then Masvidal landed one more punch on the ground. Till's head bounced off the mat. It was a vicious knockout. Huge win for Masvidal against Till, who's the bigger, younger guy. Um, kind of put Till, it puts Till um, back a ways now. I mean, he, he had looked really good with the Cerrone win, and now he's got two losses in a row, both... Um, bad losses as well and a knockout and um obviously he had the loss to Woodley where he got dominated on the ground so 
Uh, tough night for Tillin, his home country. And then Masvidal, big win at welterweight, man. He hadn't fought in over a year. I think this is his second straight win. Um, Kamaru Usman, I'm sorry, this is his first win since the Stephen Till loss in 2017. So he's 1-2 in his last three. Um, Kamaru Usman and Ali Abdelaziz, his manager, were saying that they would like a fight with Masvidal next. I, I don't think that makes sense. Masvidal being 1-2 and two in his last three, only one fight in the last year and a half or so. It doesn't make sense at all. Um, but a, a huge win for him. He looked good, uh, and he beat the bigger, stronger, younger dude. So hats off to Jorge Masvidal, just the you know, the more well-rounded technical guy in this one. Um, after the fight, Masvidal was doing an interview backstage. Somebody yelled at him from off camera. It was actually the guy who won in the co-main event, Leon Edwards. Uh, and Masvidal walked off camera, although the camera kind of followed him and got video of this. Uh, Masvidal walked over with his hands behind his back to confront Edwards. Edwards put his hands up and Masvidal just lit him up like three rapid fire punches, um, cut Edwards eye, uh, right below his eye. And then it got broken up. Um, Masvidal doesn't mess around. If you followed his career at all, he used to, do like the backyard fights with Kimbo back in the day. He's been in the game a long time from Miami. I think he might be Cube. It might have some Cuban blood in him, but um, either way, he's not. He's got that street mentality, a little bit of uh, the Diaz brothers, and a little a little Khabib. You could see him jumping out of the cage, that sort of thing, into a crowd of people and just throwing punches. Um, not not the best guy to get. Uh, mouthy with, I would say. Um, so, I mean, th that fight would obviously make sense. Masvidal and Edwards. Edwards was in the co-main and won, and they've already got this built-in feud. I, I, I think that fight would make perfect sense because both guys, Edwards and Masvidal, need a couple more wins before they're anywhere near a title shot, in my humble opinion. Um, then, also... Masvidal had a good line about a three-piece and a soda. That's what he apparently called the combination he did on Edward's face. Um, I think it's a KFC reference, not my favorite fast food by any stretch, but I guess you get three pieces of chicken and a soda um, is what uh, Masvidal called that, and that went a little viral. So Masvidal, big win. Um, had some controversy with the brawl afterwards. No word on if either guy will be suspended, that sort of thing yet. Um, built up another fight. So good for, for Jorge Masvidal. If he does the Edwards fight and wins that fight, you know, he, he, he's getting, he's getting up there for a welterweight title shot. Uh, also on the card, we had Dominic Reyes defeating Volkan Uzdemir by a unit, uh, split decision, 28-29-29-29-28-28. And um, I think I had Volkan winning the first and Reyes winning the second and third. Uh, competitive fight. Reyes didn't set the world on fire here. He could have used a more emphatic win to get a little more press for his name. Um but uh, a win nonetheless against a top light heavyweight, Nuzdemir, who's now lost three in a row and is on a, a serious skid. 
Uh, we also had Nathaniel Wood defeating Jose Quinones at 246 of the second, rear naked choke. Wood has looked really uh, impressive. He's only 25 years old, goes by the nickname, the prospect fighting out of England. He's uh, 3-0 in the UFC, all submission wins, all chokes, two rear nakeds, and a bravo choke, which I don't even know what that is. Uh, maybe Johnny Eduardo with that. He's got a win over Von Lee. Um, I think he was a Bama champ and a Cage Warriors champ. So uh, somebody to look out for. He's young, 5'6". Um, definitely has some potential at bantamweight and a name to look out for Look for in the future. That's Nathaniel Wood. Uh, also on the main card, Claudio Silva defeated Danny Roberts and Jack Marshman defeated John Phillips. Uh, on the prelims, Mark Diakisi defeated Joe Duffy, unanimous decision. Um, Molly McCann had a good fight with Priscilla Cachoeira. Uh, McCann's face was busted up after. It looked like a broken orbital bone, big nasty cut under her left eye. Um, fight worth watching. And um, I think that's about it. Uh, fight of the night went to Masvidal and Till. Uh, $50,000 performance went to Masvidal and Dan Iggy. Iggy. Uh, another 50 grand each. So uh, Masvidal made an extra 100K for that show. Uh, and that's your uh, UFC Fight Night Till vs. Masvidal review. Um, also during the show, Michael Bisping was inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame. At least they made the announcement that he was going to be inducted. Um, that would uh, happen, I think, in July, International Fight Week. Let's see if I can figure that out. Let's see a date for it. But uh, they played a nice video package for Bisbing. Apparently, he did not know he was going into the Hall of Fame. They showed him in the crowd. Uh, he was surprised. Maybe sort of crying, but uh, a lot of highlights. And to me, Bisping deserves to be in. I, I think he's got like the second most wins in UFC history or something. 20 wins. Um, came out a tough three. Super charismatic. Great at building fights. Um, and a really good fighter. I mean, he, he won some and he lost some, obviously. But middleweight champ. Came in on short notice. Upset Luke Rockhold. Classic moment. He had the big uh, fight with George St. Pierre. Obviously, he lost that, but got the big payday there. Um, but to me, he he, I, I'm okay with Mike Bisping going into the Hall of Fame. Um, I, I think he was typically, during most of his run, underrated. Because any time he had a chance to get a title shot, he lost. I mean, that was kind of his... Um, story for years and years he debuted in the ufc in june of 06 winning the ultimate fighter um was a light heavyweight for years until he lost a split decision to rashad when rashad was one of the best light heavyweights in the world uh moves down to middleweight you know runs off three straight wins then loses to dan henderson then beats dennis kang loses to vanderlei then runs off four wins and loses to Chael in a title eliminator. Um, the Henderson loss at UFC 100 was a title eliminator. Um, it's just like he he couldn't get over the hump for a long time. And then on short notice, he comes in from filming a movie and beats Luke Rockhold, who had looked really good and destroyed Bisbing 
years prior. So um, definitely a good career for Bisping. Took, takes the Gastelum fight short notice when he didn't have to. Just um, had, had the busted up eye. A lot of the guys he lost to were on TRT. It's like he had a very long career, and a lot of those losses, you could say, were questionable because of what his opponents were doing. He never tested positive for steroids, was um, adamant that he would never take steroids, and um, the guys he lost to, Vitor Belfort, Chael Sonnen, Fonderlay, Dan Henderson, um, a lot of those guys either pop for steroids or we're doing TRT. So um, if things had gone differently in those fights, he'd be looked at even more as a, as a legend. But as it is, a solid Hall of Famer, um, deserves to be in there, had a long run in the UFC with a lot of wins against good guys. I mean, tail end of his career, he's got wins over Dan Henderson, Luke Rockhold, Anderson Silva, um, you know, he beat Brian Stan, um, Akiyama. There's there's some good names in there. Chris Lieben. Um, so, anyway, congrats to Michael Bisbing. Um, a worthy guy in the cage and definitely a great promo, charismatic guy outside the cage. Could build the fight. Um, I mean, he got people to care about his fight with Jorge Rivera. You know, like that. that's not an easy thing to do. And he even spit on the corner after the fight. Uh, I don't know if that's a positive or negative. Uh, in other news, just breaking today, TJ Dillashaw uh, revealed that he had an adverse USADA finding from his fight at UFC Brooklyn against Henry Cejudo, and he is going to relinquish the UFC title. The New York State Athletic Commission has apparently given him a one-year suspension. We don't know what USADA is going to do with that. They could suspend him longer, potentially. We don't know what he failed for. Um, if you remember back to that Cejudo fight, he had to make a really tough weight cut to get down to 125. Uh, Dillashaw has fought his entire career at 135, is the current bantamweight champ, moved down to 125. Like If I had to guess, based on following MMA for the last 20-something years and drug test failures the last 20-something years, I'm guessing it's some sort of diuretic or they could go with the tainted supplement thing. Um, it'll be interesting to see because I could not picture how in God's name TJ Dillashaw was going to get down to 125 pounds. Like I, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine it. Then he made the cut and said he was fine. So um, I, I'm not surprised there's an adverse finding in his, tests it's interesting that the fight took place back in january and we're not hearing about this until march which makes it sound like he tried to appeal it and maybe already had some supplements tested and couldn't find a way out of this thing um so i, I expect more news to come out later today whether that's usada's take on it or what the suspension's going to be or what he failed for there's not a lot of info out now but you know, Henry Cejudo and Cody Garbrandt come out looking looking a little better here because obviously Cejudo beat a guy who was the best bantamweight in the world, moved down, and sounds like he was cheating. Um, so good on Cejudo. And then you've got Garbrandt, who's got the KO losses to uh, Dillashaw. you got to wonder if Dillashaw was doing something fishy back then, too. So um, 
it's a net gain for those two guys. I mean, I, I don't know if people look back at those Garbrandt fights and say, you know, Dillashaw was probably cheating then as well. I mean, some people will, um, especially Garbrandt fans, but um, I, I, I'm not surprised by this. <laughs> I'm just not. Um, and uh, I'll maybe I'll be surprised by what he fails for. Maybe it's not um, a diuretic, something to help cut weight, but I got to think it's something to help cut weight because when you would see Dillashaw on the scales at 135 pounds, he looked like a man who had been starved at a, at a concentration camp for a year. Um, and then to drop 10 more pounds is, is insane. Um, I guess you saw has released the, the following statement. In light of Mr. Dillashaw's social media posts this morning, we can confirm that an in-competition test conducted by USADA on January 18th resulted in an adverse analytical finding. In this instance, we are able to confirm the finding due to Mr. Dillashaw's public statement. The presumption of innocence under the rules is a vital part of an effective anti-doping program, and it's only fair that Mr. Dillashaw will be allowed due process before any conclusions are drawn. Um... Like I said, this is two months old. He failed this test two months ago. So there's definitely something going on behind the scenes um, in regards to this. Where does this leave the, the Bantamweight Championship? If um, Dillashaw is really relinquishing the title, um, you would think Marlon Marais would be in line for you know some sort of title shot. Maybe Cejudo moves up and they do Marais um, and Cejudo. Um, I'm trying to think who else might be in line up there. I mean, a Sun Sal maybe? Aljamain Sterling has looked good recently. Maybe Sterling versus Marais, but Marais knocked Sterling out already. Um, let's look at the Bantamweight rankings here. Uh, I probably should have done this before I started the show, uh, but that would require more planning. Wow, I... I'm pretty good at this. So number one ranked contender is Marlon Marais. Then we've got Rafael Sunsau, Aljamain Sterling. Pedro Munoz is number four. So definitely Marais. I think a Sunsau is coming off a loss. Let's see. What's old Rafael been up to? Yeah, he lost to Marais. Um, geez, yeah, submission, 319 in the first, wow, um, yeah, if Marais isn't in this title, uh, bantamweight title shot next, something is terribly wrong, that guy deserves it, even though he's managed by the evil Ali Abdelaziz. Uh, what else? It looks like, uh, the Cerrone-Conor McGregor fight is off. Uh, UFC is currently targeting Cerrone versus Al Iaquinta uh, to headline UFC Ottawa on May 4th at the Canadian Tire Center. What a name for a arena in Canada. Canadian Tire Center. Can you imagine we're going to be called the American Tire Center in the States? Hey, I don't see that happening. Uh, that's interesting. So... Iaquinta's been looking good. He's coming off a win over Kevin Lee. Um, 
Cerrone's coming off a win over Alexander Hernandez. It looked like they were going in the direction of Cerrone and McGregor. But McGregor, the, the rumor is McGregor refused the fight because he didn't want to be in a co-main event. He would only fight in a main event, and UFC only wants title fights in their pay-per-view main events. Could that change going forward with ESPN fronting a lot of money for them? Totally possible. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to hear that ESPN wants a show with Conor McGregor and doesn't care that it's a title fight in the main event. So that that, that could come into play too. But yeah, it looks like Cerrone's given up waiting on Conor and wants to fight again. Shocking. And he's going to fight a tough guy in Al Iaquinta, a very underrated uh, lightweight fighter, man. Iaquinta's good. Beating Kevin Lee is no easy task. Uh, And he hung in there with Khabib with no notice for five rounds. A lot of guys can't do that either. He's uh, 9-3 in the UFC and and 14-4 overall. Um, Cerrone will probably have a, a... you know, a height and reach advantage like he often does. But I feel like Iaquinta is the younger, fresher fighter. Um, Cerrone's been through so many wars and doesn't have a lot of tread left on the tires, in in my humble opinion. And, I mean, I, I like Iaquinta in this fight, but um, you never know. Cer- Cerrone can surprise you sometimes, and, and he's a smart, smart fighter at this stage in the game. He's got the experience, but um, it's not like Iaquinta is some rookie either he's not alexander hernandez he's got a lot more experience he's got 20 fights under his belt so um a fun fight i like the fight but i still would have rather seen cerrone and connor i think cerrone deserves has earned that connor fight uh for sure and then if he loses this fight he's going to be out of the mix for connor so uh a risky move by cerrone but one that's not surprising considering his um penchant for wanting to fight a lot in other uh, Conor McGregor-related news, he was all over Boston this past weekend, uh, the capital of my home state, for a St. Patrick's Day parade. He was at a Bruins game. He gave a, a pretty good pre-fight, pre-game speech to the Bruins, who went on to win their their game that night. And uh, he was at the St. Patrick's Day parade. Um, he did a couple of interviews. He claimed that. His, a dip in motivation was a big factor in his loss to Khabib. Um, he would like to rematch Khabib, and his lack of motivation won't happen again. Um, you know, and I, I think there's something to say there. When you're sitting on, you know, a quarter billion dollars, like Connor probably is at this point, staying hungry and wanting to fight has to be tough. Like, you remember Connor early on when he was on that 6-0, 7-0 run at featherweight, just walking through people. He was hungry. He wanted it. He was making that crazy weight cut. He was busting his ass. Like, that's what he wanted to do. Um, then you have several multi-million dollar paydays. You make 80 mil from a fight with Floyd Mayweather. And... You don't want it as much. I, I, I think that's natural. I think that happens to a lot of fighters. I mean, it could have happened to Ronda. I mean, Ronda's stand-up was questionable, but maybe she shores that up or she goes to another camp and, and gets better if she's still hungry. But when you've got enough money for you and your kids and your kids to live forever um, without having to work, 
do you really want to go and train with with sweaty dudes in the gym and you know work on your cardio and run and get punched in the face all day no um and I think there's been a lack of that fire in Connor in his last few fights. I mean, the goal was always to beat Aldo. He does that in 13 seconds. Um, you know, he, he has the Nate fights, which he wins one, loses one. Um, then he beats Eddie Alvarez to win both belts. It's like he did what he wanted to do. That was his goal, win both belts. He did it. Then he gets the huge fight with Mayweather, makes truckloads and truckloads of money. Um, it's like, what? what is the motivation after that? Even if you love MMA, you love fighting, um, I, I, I would think it's difficult to get out of bed and be super motivated to fight Khabib. I, I, I get it, and I'm not surprised. And I, I think that's pretty good um, self-awareness on, on Connor's part. Um, at the same time, even if he was super motivated, I still see Khabib taking him down and beating him up. Connor's wrestling isn't good. He's from Ireland. He's a great striker. Um, but think about like Chad Mendez who's much smaller than Khabib. And nobody considers Chad Mendes anywhere near as good a wrestler as Khabib. Took him down, took Connor down pretty much at, not at will, but pretty easily, readily. And yeah, Connor hung in there, got back up. Mendez was in there on short notice and gassed. And Connor knocked him out. But Khabib's bigger, stronger, better. Um... And when you're not dedicating your life to this, when you're out promoting whiskey, you're out partying, um, you got a couple kids now, it's tough, man. I, I, I don't know that Connor, even though I think he's only 29, like should be in his prime now, I don't know if he's ever going to be that guy that was starving himself, looking like Skeletor, um, trying to make weight, training all the time. Um I don't want to say that guy's gone because it's sad if it is because that guy's one of the best fighters ever. Like, nobody wants to say that. He was 7-0 at featherweight. He beat Max Holloway. He beat Dustin Poirier. He knocked out Jose Aldo in 13 seconds. Um, he beat the crap out of guys. He was unbelievable. He varied his offense. He, he was nasty. I, I, I don't know if that guy ever comes back. I just don't. Um, I hope he does. MMA is a lot more fun with him around, but he's got to win some fights. Um, and I, I don't know how he beats Khabib, even motivated, but um, I, I hope he I hope he can find that fire again and come back and do what he used to do. Um, it's good for MMA and it's fun to watch as a fan. Uh, <laughs> also at this same event. Like, he's giving the speech talking about how he's lacking motivation on top of a bar, mind you. Uh, I think in Boston. And then he also starts talking about Joe Rogan. Uh, he said, let me see if I can find the quote here. Something about Joe Rogan um, reading off a script or something. Let me see if I can find this. 
I don't see the quote, but basically Connor, I think somebody asked um, Connor if he would ever go on Joe Rogan's show. And he said like, ah, maybe someday, but uh, I don't like the way he commentates my fights. He's reading off a script. Um, So Joe Rogan actually responded to this. Uh, He said, that's not really true because no one ever gives me a script and that's a fact. Um, I don't know exactly what was said, but maybe he just didn't like my commentary. I bet he likes it when he wins. I think he's awesome. Um, Rogan went on. um, It's his perception. I understand what he's saying. Um, He was having fun with the criticism. Listen, I think that guy is one of the most dynamic individuals to ever compete in the sport. He's a special person, a very special person, and a very unusual guy. Um, even if he doesn't beat Khabib ever again or he loses to this guy or loses to Floyd, who cares? He's still a one-in-a-billion human being. Um, so Rogan, per usual, you know, has a grounded response, well-thought-out response. It's like, yeah, Connor um, probably doesn't like to hear that he's getting his ass kicked by Khabib, which is what was happening, and Rogan called it, and it is what it is. Um, Connor probably didn't have an issue when... Rogan was patting him on the back and complimenting him for all his wins, you know? But when another dude is beating the crap out of Connor, you know, Rogan calls it that way. And, you know, you're not going to agree with what everybody says about you. Um, Rogan is pretty fair in my estimation from listening to him and watching him for, for years and years. Uh, another guy in the lightweight picture who got into a bit of trouble. And I, I don't think this news had broken um, too, too much, but Tony Ferguson um, seems to be having some issues. That I think there's a restraining order out on from his wife, and um, there were some concerns about his behavior. His wife said... Uh, his behavior is getting worse and more frightening. I'm afraid that during one of Tony's episodes, Tony will kill me, our son, and or himself. Um, courts have gotten involved. Um, apparently, Tony's going to a psychiatrist now, and he says that helped him. Um, so kind of kind of a mess. Dana White even talked to Kevin Ioli about it. Uh, White said, Tony had hit me up after the Max Holloway fight, went to Poirier and was saying, what's next for me? I said, well, we can get you a fight with Al Iaquinta. Reached out to Al. Al was interested in the fight, but the reality is that right now, Tony has a lot of personal problems that he needs to deal with. I don't think that putting him in a fight right now would be in his best interest. He needs to handle his personal stuff first. Um, And that kind of sort of helps explain why Ferguson was left out of that Holloway-Poirier fight for the interim lightweight title. Um, It sounds like he's having some sort of mental breakdown episodes. There was stuff like he thought he heard people crawling in the walls. His wife, um, I'm going to see if I can find it. it sounded bizarre like he he was he was losing it mentally um so 
I mean, Connor gave him, like, shouted him out on Twitter and wished him well and hope he's doing better. Um, But I can't find the actual quotes. So, yeah, so there's a temporary restraining order. This came out on five days ago, I guess six days ago, um, in Orange County Superior Court. Um, There's a domestic violence hearing for April 5th. Um, There were five police incident reports since January 2018. Um, Ferguson kept throwing holy water at his wife, uh, tearing apart the home, believe someone had placed a computer chip in his leg. Um, the restraining order was filed a week after Ferguson allegedly took his two-year-old son from his parents' home and brought him back to his house. Ferguson allegedly changed the locks of the home after this. Six police units were then dispatched to Ferguson's home, but they left after it was determined that no crime had been committed. Um, just sounds like a mess. There's a lot of other details that came out too, but I mean, I, I think everybody gets the point. Tony Ferguson uh, is not in a good place mentally. Um, he's always been, I don't know if unhinged is the right word, but um, a unique personality for sure. Um, and he's been in some wars and has got punched in the head a lot. It's like, you always wonder if it's, nature or nurture if Tony Ferguson didn't have the his mental makeup would he be 13 and 0 in the UFC um would he be having these episodes if he didn't get punched in the head all the time like you know that dude's got CTE to some level just the wars he's been in um concussions subconcussive blows that sort of thing it's like it adds up and you wonder, would this sort of thing be happening if Tony was not a fighter? And, and you don't know. It, it's hard to say. It could be. It could be unrelated. Nobody knows for sure. But um, kind of a sad situation for, for his wife and his kid and, and his entire family. Um, hopefully he gets the help he needs and can come back and fight and be healthy and um, live a long, healthy life. But uh, definitely a rough patch right now. Uh, this weekend, we've got a, a couple shows. There's a Bellator's back after a long layoff. There hadn't been a Bellator show since February 23rd. Uh, they're back on Friday, March 22nd. show will be on Paramount Network and DAZN. Uh, not, <laughs> not a deep card that anybody's going to go out of their way to watch. This is at the Windstar World Casino in lovely Thackerville, Oklahoma. In the main event, we've got Manny Sanchez versus Georgie Karakanian. This is a rematch. I believe Sanchez won that first one by unanimous decision. Um, we've also got a heavyweight fight with Valentin Modovsky and Linton Vassell. Vassell used to fight at light heavyweight. He must be moving up. Um, and then Norbert. Novenyi versus William Levine and Anatoly Tokov versus Gerald Harris. So not a real noteworthy show there. Um, I mean, Manny Sanchez and Karakani and are both 
top featherweights in Bellator, but um, not not a big show by any stretch. Um, then we've also got UFC Fight Night on ESPN Plus number six, aka UFC Fight Night 148 on Saturday, March 23rd from the Bridgestone Arena in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, main event has Stephen Thompson versus Anthony Pettis in a weird fight that doesn't make sense. Pettis moving up from 155 for the first time in his career up to welterweight at 170 to fight Thompson, who's a perennial top five welterweight at this stage in the game. Thompson is coming off a loss to Darren Till, that unanimous decision loss, where Till missed weight by four pounds and maybe won the fight. It was unanimous unanimous decision, but it was still a close fight. Um, prior to that, Thompson beat Jorge Masvidal. Um, then Anthony Pettis is moving up from 155 for the first time in his career, which is weird because he's also fought at 145. Uh, he's coming off a loss to Tony Ferguson and a win over Michael Chiesa. Um, I believe Pettis challenged Thompson to a fight online um, on Twitter. Um, seems like a mismatch. Thompson's just the bigger dude, um, more reach, probably a better striker. Um, I even think if Thompson wins this fight, it doesn't do much for him because he's beaten a smaller dude who's kind of past his prime um, and a lot of people think is washed up. Um I mean, it kind of takes some balls from Pettis to want to move up in weight and fight a dude who's tough and tricky like Thompson. Like, nobody really wants to fight Stephen Thompson is the vibe I get because his style is so unique, that karate background. Um, So we'll see what happens. I mean, it's a five-round fight. Anything can happen in these things. But a weird fight for sure. I I like Thompson in it if you're looking for a, a pick. Uh, at heavyweight, we've got Curtis Blades and Justin Willis, um, two top 10 heavyweights. Blades is currently ranked number four. He's coming off a loss to Francis Ngannou. Prior to that, he had a win over Alistair Overeem. Uh, Justin Willis is ranked number 10. He is 8-1 overall with, uh, four. He's 4-0 in the UFC and is coming off a unanimous decision win over Mark Hunt. The Hunt one win was not impressive. It sounds nice. It's good on a resume, but it was a boring fight. Willis just had more output, and Hunt is old and slow at this stage of the game. Uh, I like Blades in this one. Uh, we've also got John McDessie versus Jesus Pinedo. Jusier Formiga versus Davison Figueredo. Formiga, I believe, is the number one ranked flyweight right now in the world, and no one knows it because... There's been rumors of the flyweight division being disbanded. He's coming off a win over Sergio Pettis, Anthony's brother. And Figueredo is on a win streak of his own. He is 15-0 and 4-0 in the UFC, most recently coming off a win against John Moraga. He is currently ranked number four in the flyweight division. Um, So... (laughs) Very under-the-radar fight there. You've got the number one and fourth-ranked guy in a division fighting. Nobody knows their names, and no one cares about it at all. But um, 
should be a good fight, man. Figueredo's got a few knockouts, and Formiga's a, a well-rounded dude. Uh, also, Luis Pena versus Steven Patterson. Peterson, I'm sorry. Macy Barber versus J.J. Aldrich. Uh, on the prelim, Bryce Mitchell versus Bobby Moffitt. Bryce Mitchell might have been the guy who's... Um, did his sack get torn open? I think that's what he's known for. Frankie Sines versus Marlon Vera. Alexis Davis versus Jennifer Maya. Ronda Marcos versus Angela Hill. That's kind of an interesting strawweight fight. Um, that's it. There's some more fights, but it doesn't matter. No one cares. That is your UFC Fight Night Thompson versus Pettis preview. Um, I have not heard any screaming coming from the other room. And we got a couple more minutes. I, I like to uh, share with you, my my dozens of listeners, new stories that caught my eye. I, I've worked in the restaurant business my uh, entire adult life, the last 24 years or so. Um, and these two stories caught my eye, both restaurant related. I, I felt like I could relate to both of these stories. Uh, the headline here reads, Arby's manager accused of chasing employee with knife after argument. Um, I've managed restaurants for years, and I, I can relate to this Arby's manager, although I've never chased an employee with a knife. I, I have seen things thrown at people in restaurants. I've never been thrown at. Actually, I, I did have milk thrown at me once, but uh, that was a long time ago. Anyway... Uh, an Arby's manager was arrested after she chased an employee with a knife after they argued over her request that he work overtime. Latara Atkins faces charges of aggravated assault, battery, and criminal mischief. According to the probable cause affidavit, uh, the employee Ernst Point DeJour called 911 to report that Atkins was chasing him in the parking lot with a knife. Deputies responded to the Arby's at 9970 Belvedere Road, Pointe du Jour told deputies that he got into an argument with Aikens after she asked him to work overtime and he refused. According to the report, Aikens sprayed a mace-like substance at Pointe du Jour's eyes and he ran out the door. One employee said Aikens threw a long serrated knife at the door, picked it up, and ran after Pointe du Jour. Okay. What... Never have I carried mace or pepper spray, anything like that, on me. Um, but if I did, I probably wouldn't bring it into work and have it on me at work and then spray it in somebody's face inside the restaurant. Like, that's going to get in other people's eyes. It could blow out into the dining room and everybody's going to get mace and pepper spray. And you'll have to have the whole restaurant cleared out. Second of all, I wouldn't just bring it into the restaurant. I would, like, keep it in my car or my glove box. Um, obviously, this woman has some sort of mental issues. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Maybe she's got a, a good reason to bring pepper spray into the restaurant with her every day. These are some unruly employees, and you got to keep them in line, I guess. So then... He ran out the door and she grabbed it like a serrated, like I'm guessing like a bread knife or something and chucked it at the door as he ran out, then picked it up and chased him outside because he didn't want to work overtime. That brings me to another point. Usually 
at my place of employment, if I ask somebody, you know, you want to pick up a shift, you want to do this or that, whatever, and they say no, say, okay, no problem. I'm not going to mace them when they say no. That's never crossed my mind. Never. I wouldn't throw a knife at them. That's not going to get them to work. Like, do you really want this person to work? Like, I'd say, yeah, I'll, uh, but I'll, I'll give you a gift card. I'll make it worth your while if you, if you pick up these extra shifts. I wouldn't assault them. Yeah, I don't think that's going to get the job done. Uh, <laughs> witnesses also said Aikens used the knife to damage Point DuJour's car. One employee said Aikens were... Um, yeah, I, I mean, essentially, she chased this guy around the parking lot and keyed his car, didn't key his car, I guess knifed his car um, because he didn't want to work more. Weird tactic. I mean, I, I guess if I worked at this Arby's and she followed up and asked me if I would pick up the hours, maybe I would. Maybe she was trying to tell everybody else who worked there, you better pick up shifts when I ask you to, or I'm going to destroy your car and mace you. I mean, that could, you know, it's better to be feared than loved. It's a different tact than I would take, but maybe it got the job done. Maybe she found somebody to work after she got out of jail. <sighs> Arby's. There are no Arby's where I, in my neck of the woods here, I've never been to an Arby's. I want to now, though. This makes me want to go more. They run a tight ship. And finally, uh, our last headline of the week and our last story of the week. Man bites off part of New York City bar worker's finger because bar was closed. That's the New York Police Department. Police in Queens are on the hunt for a man who bit off part of a bar worker's finger after cops says he became enraged because the late night hangout was closed. The NYPD said the unusual change of events happened last month in front of El California Sports Bar in, on Roosevelt Ave in Jackson Heights. Police said the man approached the 37-year-old security guard and asked to go inside. When the bouncer told him the bar was closing, the man became very angry and the two began shouting at each other. The verbal dispute flared up even more and turned physical once the suspect bit off part of the worker's left pinky. Here's the deal. You want to get into a restaurant or a bar like near when they're closing? Okay, I, I, I can get that. Be nice. Be polite. Don't threaten the person who controls whether or not you can get in. That's not going to help your cause. Like, from my perspective, like, if we have an intoxicated customer or something, um, or whatever the situation, an unruly guest, usually when you speak with them, if they get more unruly, it's a sign you shouldn't let them in or give them another drink. This guy got into a fight with a bouncer, put the bouncer's left pinky in his mouth, bit down so hard that he took his finger off. I don't know how hard you have to bite someone to bite their finger off. That's going to take work. Think about it. It'd be like biting through a chicken wing, like the bone. You'd Like, granted, I mean, this is a man's pinky. There's some bone in there. 
Like you got to press down really, really hard and quickly because you would think the bouncer would be trying to protect his finger, punching this dude in the face, the nuts, eye gouging him as he's biting on the finger. Um, And this guy still managed to bite off this bouncer's finger. The man then ran off, heading east on Roosevelt Ave. Uh, He got away and hasn't been seen since. The security guard was rushed to a hospital where his finger was reattached. He has since been released. No arrests have been made. So this dude in New York City bites a man's finger off, runs away, and essentially gets away with it. At some point, after biting the finger off, this dude must have spit the bouncer's finger out somewhere. They gathered it up, presumably put it on ice, and went to the hospital with it. What a terrible shift. Like, you get home, your wife, your girlfriend goes, Oh, how was work? You're like, you'll never believe what happened tonight. It was crazy. And your wife is like, oh, what was it, a fight? What happened? A dude bit my finger off. Like, what? What kind of job do you have where your finger gets bit off? Like, that's got to be the worst shift ever. Like, usually you you don't get dismembered at work, typically. Uh, I mean, in a kitchen, sometimes people cut themselves. But rarely does another human bite off another part of your body. That is a terrible shift. On that note, I would like to thank everyone for listening to the show here. Uh, We're just about out of time. We're at a, looks like 57 minutes. Uh, So I thank you for joining me. Again, you can listen to the MMA, MMA show, Matt's Middle Age Mixed Martial Arts Show on um, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, um, pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts. I appreciate you joining me. There's a Twitter account, MMA, MMA Show 1. There's also an Instagram page, MMA, MMA Show. I encourage you to uh, follow all those accounts um, for funny memes and my thoughts on what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. So thank you again for joining me. We will be back again next week. I'm going to go check on my uh, daughter in the other room. She's watching a weird uh, movie on Netflix, uh, some like high school musical or something. Anyway, thanks again. Catch you next week. Bye-bye, everybody.